Hey everyone, welcome to the Wall Air Podcast, episode 100. Man, that has come around quick, but it has been awesome having so many lads come on the podcast and be themselves, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed hearing what some of these guys are actually like off the field. I've certainly enjoyed bringing them to you, learnt heaps along the way, heaps of cool journeys that I didn't know about before getting them on the podcast, so it's been really cool. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do me a favour and share any of the podcasts that you have enjoyed or you do enjoy in the future. And to go one step further, go and get yourself some Waterlad merch, some Waterlad coffee or some Pure Sports CBD. To do so, head over to waterlad.com and all the information is on there. But anyway, I have an awesome guest to bring up the 100th for you. Here's one of the great lads, so let's get into it. Well, guys, today's a very special day as we raise the bat with our 100th guest on What a Lad. So I knew I had to get someone on who was very special, potentially one of the biggest lads in not only rugby but in sport. And I think I've got him. He is an Olympic silver medalist. He's won the Commonwealth gold twice. He's won two Sevens World Cups. He's won the Super Rugby title with the Highlanders. He's won the NPC Premiership with the Naki. He's won a championship with Hawks Bay. And he has won Personality of the Year more times than anyone else on this planet. He is arguably the GOAT lad, and I am stoked to have him on. What a lad. It is, of course, the one and only Kurt Baker. Welcome, Crado. Thanks for having me, Gemma. Mate, I know you're in isolation. I like to rope in all my what a lad guests while they're in isolation. What have you been up to? Not a lot, to be honest. Um, early on, after the flight, we... Um had to catch up on some Zs, so <laughs> slept for the first couple of days and recovered, and then we're at day seven now, so it's starting to get to the point where um, sort of out of ideas of things to do, um, sort of walk around the room pointlessly, but um, it's not too bad. You got clothes on though, is that regular, or are you usually nude? Yeah, I just top half, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just top half. <laughs> you don't want to see the bottom half horse. Ah, shit, no, I've seen that too many times. <laughs> were you on that um, rowdy flight back, were you? Because I saw an article on uh, some Olympic athletes causing a bit of a party plane. <laughs> Surely that was you. No, well, I don't know. I know comment, but yeah. What's the definition of rowdy these days? <laughs> Nude on the air hostess shoulders? <laughs> nah, there was no nudity. That's one thing I can confirm, there was no nudity. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> uh, you guys would have what, just been having a few, few beers on the way back, was it? Yeah, I think. Well, you can put the people together on that plane. There was some rolls that I think they'd live a pretty dry lifestyle, and you know they had some pretty good success at the Olympics. It was, I think, with the, the surfers who were always up for a good time. Oh yeah, and then uh, a few of the swimmers came back with us too. So no, I think it was, I think it was a good way to finish off a um, pretty epic campaign of like Olympians in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, some people might not have seen it the way we did, but it was a good time. And you've been doing a, you've been doing a couple of uh, marathons with Clarkie to keep keep yourself busy, keep your days full? <clears throat> yeah, you had this good idea at the start. Um, he'd do 42Ks down a bike, but you've seen the bikes that we're operating. Um, <laughs> starting to get a dicky left knee, eh? so I pulled out. <laughs> I don't think it's worth it. How many did you do? I did four, um, and then... Oh, today I just did a, a circuit and I jumped on the bike, so I sort of told myself that was as good as 
no 42k, but it was probably 4.2k. So close. <laughs> <laughs> claim it, claim it, eh? 100%. Oh, anyway, we'll get to your um, Olympics journey. So how'd you find it? Silver medal? Uh, you obviously wanted to go one better, but um, you still must have felt proud that you got to the final and you got to come home with the silver. Yeah, well, it is a funny one. I think, like, at the time, obviously disappointed with, like, I suppose, all rugby players in New Zealand have got pretty high expectations of themselves and their teams. Yeah. So, you know, initially we are disappointed, but... Um, you know, the more we talked about it and the more we actually realised what it was, it wasn't just a, you know, a second at a World Series tournament, it was a Olympics and, you know, people have trained five years to get to that point, like mm. us. And it's a funny one, like, it's just because I think you play a final when someone's got to lose, but if you just say it was a, yeah. I don't know, a road race and you had first, second, third, I guarantee the second person would be wrapped, so it's just the, the sport we play yeah, and, yeah. um yeah, I suppose if you compare it to the last Olympic campaign, you'd um, you'd take it with arms wide open because we're a fair way from the silver there. Hundred percent. And what what was it like in the changing rooms after? Was it a pretty sour vibe, or was it still pretty upbeat? Not sour. I think it was just boys were just gutted because we we knew we were capable of a lot more than probably how we went um, against the Fijian boys. Um, yeah. And, you know, out, a lot of outsiders looking in said, oh, the, the Fijian boys played really well, and they actually did. Mm. But I think just because we've got such high expectations of ourselves, it was a bit of disappointment, if if was being honest. But yeah. I suppose it's just rugby and sport in general. Like, someone's got to lose and someone's going to be pissed off about it. So Yeah, you must have been itching to get on. I mean, there was a moment there I was waiting for the Crado number to come on and um, bring the boys home, but didn't get as many minutes as you probably would have hoped. No, I didn't, and... You know, I suppose that again is sport because other tournaments I've had plenty of minutes. So um, I suppose mm-hmm. that tournament just wasn't mine. But we always talked about we had a real strong twelve, um, which we think a lot of the other teams didn't. So yeah, um, if I was a part of that twelve and I could, you know, make a difference to our team, then you know it was worth it. Um, yeah, probably early on it's just some big old shifts on D. So it. Um, <laughs> It made it pretty hard, but if it meant that some boys had some legs at the end of the tournament, then so be it. Um, yeah. You know, we were a pretty good bunch of boys around, you know, what's best for the crew. And, you know, I, I feel like we've genuinely got a bloody strong squad. So you can suck it up when you, you've got decent players around you. And you did your build up into the tournament wasn't exactly smooth, was it? You, you went into the tournament with a little bit of a niggle. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I had a, wee, oh, I had a few hiccups I, um, real early on in the year. I, the Achilles were playing up, so I sort of off feet for quite a while. Yeah, came back, was getting into it, and then pulled my calf about maybe six weeks out from us going leaving for the Olympics. Mm. So uh, the road got a bit bumpier, and then so I'm off feet again. Um, so I didn't spend a lot of time on the field prior to leaving, and then we obviously went to um, Townsville for the Oceania tournament, and that didn't pan out so well either. The, um, the last training before the captain's run, I rolled my ankle and. Um, tore the ligaments on the outside of my ankle. So um, that was obviously two days out from the tournament starting, so it made life pretty tough. But um, a few painkillers and got a lump of ice uh, for two days and I, I battled out there for the last game against um, the Fijians. So probably not the not the easiest game to roll out <laughs> with a dicky ankle and chasing quick Fijian dudes around. But, um, yeah, it was, it was enough to get me a spot at the Olympics and, um, yeah, how did it feel in there? How did it feel running around? Nah, awful. <laughs> Real awful. Did it? Yeah. Straight lines. Just straight lines. Anyone step me or, yeah. 
I, it, the first play, I, it, um, we ran a move and made a break, and I thought, shit, there's no way I'm stepping anyone. So I just went straight at the guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was just probably lucky. Play um, sort of went the way I needed it to with a sore ankle to nurse it for a few more weeks. Mm. And did you think that was going to cost you a spot in the Olympics, or did you always have hopes that you were going to be all right? No, nah, when I did it, I thought that was me done. Um, oh, yeah. I, was, I remember lying there. I said, foot up on the post, and Deb Robinson, the old all-back stock, was our doc. She came over, and I was like, it's roaring at me. Like, it didn't feel that good. Um, yeah. But I just spent two nights in the game ready, and lucky enough, it, um, you know, a few painkillers, and sort of was enough to get me get me through. It was one of those ones that was like a probably three-week injury, and I had three days. So yeah. if I could just get through that patch, it would be a lot better in sort of three weeks. So that's what it is. Did you notice it at the Olympics? Uh, yeah, we were. I, was, I was reasonably stiff, but I'd never use it as an excuse. Like, um, mm. It was good enough. Yeah, good enough for you. And how did you keep your fitness up? Like You said you were off your feet for a real long period of time leading up to the Olympics, one of the biggest sporting events, I guess, you can have in, um, in a sport where you need to be really, really fit. How did you manage that? Um, I... I've been I've like my whole career. I've sort of had like injuries along the way that have stopped me for a period of time. So I sort of learned over time to suppose get used to um, off-feet options, whether it be a watt bike, um, swimming. I had a watt bike at home, so I had a, a lot of dark days in the garage, just chipping away. <laughs> the old uh, wife rolls in, just the look on her face when I'm lying there, like a dead bug on the floor. But um, I suppose that the other things that make it worthwhile when you get to the end point and. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of off-feet stuff, but we're probably lucky now. In our um, in our area, there's plenty of options. Or, you know, if you can't do one thing, you can probably do another. Mm. So, I was um, at a point, and then you know, lucky enough that I could do some running beforehand to to get me to where I thought I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And you were always really naturally fit too, weren't you? Like a lot of guys can't really cross over that um, off-feet conditioning to on-the-field conditioning, but you always managed to be able to do that, eh? Yeah, I, I find that um, the naturally fit comment like interesting because I actually genuinely don't mm. think I'm naturally fit. I just um, I'd sort of always done extras, and you know, some guys will just do the bare minimum that's asked of them. And yeah, yeah, I was one of those guys. Who, I probably wasn't as naturally talented as other guys, so that had to be my point of difference. And I kind of realised that at I suppose a quite early stage. Mm. So I've just um, made sure that what we do as a as a team is, you know, is to be a minimum, and I'm trying to always fit in a few more. Mm, true, so, that's yeah, you'd say it's natural, but same time, probably do it myself. You've worked hard for that natural fitness. That's <laughs> yeah, some dark old days, some <laughs> mental battles, I know that. <laughs> yeah, that is tough, eh? Yeah. And what was the Olympic Village like? Yeah, it was it was weird, but oh, like I'd never been to another Olympics, obviously. So I had nothing to really compare it to. I'd been to um, Con Games, and you know that's on a much smaller scale, but yeah, it was weird. Like you go to the dining hall and um, just big long tables, and then there was perspex in front of you and either side of you, so you're almost in your own boat. Oh, true. So it was a bit weird, but um, there's still the thousands of athletes rolling through the the food halls, and um, you know heaps of athletes around. So I presume it'd be a little bit different to other Olympics, but you know, it's still it wasn't like we were locked all chained together and couldn't go anywhere. So. It was all good. And you're obviously pretty well known after your um, famous celebrations you do after the game. So did lots of people want to get photos with you? 
Nah, we're 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 small fish in that pond. I think rugby's uh, yeah, we're real small fish in that pond. Though. There's a there's a lot of big names rolling around. I think some of the boys that follow the people, there's some um, pretty big dog NBA players around, and yeah. um, nah, we, we're real small fish in the uh, the Olympic pond. I think. Were there any New Zealand athletes that you got along well with? Yeah, we got on with um, Billy the surfer, Billy Stemmon. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a good roast. We um. He was in the same hotel as us after we finished the um, finished the event, so we had a few brews with him, and he's good to He's just a good raglan lad that just uh, <laughs> he's just stoked to hang out with the boys as much as we're probably stoked to hang out with him. So, you know, um, it was cool. We, you know, probably connected with a you know some sports that rugby probably potentially never does. So, mm. uh, it was a cool. I reckon it was a cool part about about the Olympics itself. Yeah, it looked like a real cool culture between all the athletes in the in the village. So, um, yeah, like you said, that's something you don't get anywhere else, and it must be cool. Nah, and I don't think we really realised it until you sort of start talking to the other sports, and you know they're probably intimidated by rugby players in New Zealand just because you know it's probably the the most played and watched sport in New Zealand. But you know, if anything, we're probably yeah. just as intimidated by the other athletes because we realise how much how freakish they are. So yeah. Once the um, you know, once we had a few drinks, or you know, we got to know each other as a as a wider team, it was actually really cool. Like when new athletes would come, or athletes that had won medals would come back and we'd do huckers and um, welcome them back. It was actually yes, yeah, it, it was real cool. It was probably you know something I'll look back on and be one of the coolest things I've been a part of. That's awesome. And how many huckers did you get through? You you could have been right into it. Well, what's the definition of being in the hucker? <laughs> I was standing there, but I was deep. I was real deep. <laughs> the curly one was it was actually the New, New Zealand team hucker, so I didn't know it to start with. And the first time we first time we did it, we had about twenty minutes to learn it, so I didn't know any of the words. Yeah. So I feel like it gets to a point where you're disrespecting the hucker when you uh, <laughs> haven't learnt it to the to the level that it should be at. So, you know, early on I probably steered clear of it, but um, by the end I was into it. It was good. Lucky you've got so much mouldy heritage in you that you can pick those sort of things up naturally, eh? Yeah, totally. And I'm quite a vicious-looking human, do I? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Anyway, horse, we've got so much to get through. What a career you've had. It's unbelievable. So many twists and turns. But we need to go back to the start. I could imagine you would have been a very cheeky kid growing up, but uh, what was your childhood like? It was pretty good. I grew up in Palmy. Um, my parents split up pretty young, so it was like three when they split up. Um, so it was like, you know, disjointed, but um, it was all good and, um, you know, just learned to make it work, and that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think at the same time, that's probably moulded me into the, the person of I am today, so you kind of appreciate that a wee bit. Yeah. Um, through school, went to a, um, probably one of the rougher intermediates in Palmy, so went to Monred. Um, so it was me and a lot of the island boys, which, you know, looking forward to now, again, probably moulded me into being able to fit into, you know, our environment, probably better than some other guys. So yeah. um, went there and then obviously went to Palmy Boys where we had a um, pretty good crop of players that rolled through the same, same time as me, so... I think my sixth form year, we made top four. We lost the Christchurch boys. We were stacked at the time. It was yeah, uh, yeah. Dicko and Colin Slade and that yeah, crew. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, and then and then I suppose this the seventh form year we had a, a pretty probably even more solid team, but we underperformed. We had crewed in Andre Taylor, one of your boys. Um <laughs> a few others, but uh we're we're lucky in Palmy. There's actually uh pretty good crop of players rolling through there. Um I suppose Aaron Smith was um he was at fielding, so we're a pretty good rep team. The Crosby boys, the Warlocks. So, oh, all the boys. Um, sort of from there was that, that was probably where it all started for me. It was just um, I was lucky. I, I went to a good high school that was pretty decent at footy. Um, a few coaches just kept a little white battler in their team, and <laughs> I seemed to grow a little bit over over the latter parts of high school. Were you keen to play footy before you sort of made the first fifteen and sixth form? Was footy sort of the plan for you, even from a young age, or not really? Yeah, I played it from a really young age. Um, I never made any rep teams or anything um, until about maybe under 16 or under 18. So yeah, I definitely wouldn't have said it was a, a planned pathway. <laughs> and at the time, it was a few moons ago, but that was sort of early 2006, my last year at school. So yeah. even rugby then probably was nowhere near as professional as it is now. Mm. Um, so I can still remember my English teacher just racking me one day because we used to, you were probably the same at school, you'd go out on all your sports trips and do a bit of school in between. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, you're never going to make a career out of rugby. And I, it still sticks with me that she said that. Um, but yeah, at the time, I probably thought she was right, to be honest. <laughs> I was just, wasn't the smartest cookie in the jar, so I, stayed, I was sort of bugging either way. <laughs> was there a moment where you thought you were just going to crack down and give rugby a real good go? Like, was there a moment where everything sort of switched for you? Yeah, I reckon it was that, that sixth form year, the end of that sixth form year, I sort of cracked into a reasonably solid first 15. You know, I suppose like Man or Two started sniffing around when you're seventh form, so like academies and that, which mm. back then was a big deal to me, but you know, it was not financially beneficial or anything. But once they start sniffing around, you're like, shit, maybe I, um, you know, half decent at this, I might be an opportunity to, to make a career out of it. But yeah, you know, I suppose. I didn't really know what I was going to do after school, so I just sort of rolled with the punches, worked for my old man as a sparky, but I was like, I didn't want to do that either. So probably, to be honest, all the things along the way probably drove me to want to <laughs> chain harder at footy because it weren't things that were sort of enticing me too much along the way. Yeah, but, mate, you said you're a, you said you're a battler, but, mate, you were a gun. I remember going up against you at um, New Zealand 20s and maybe 19s as well, trials, and you were you were an absolute right. wizard. So I think you made the twenties, but not the nineteens, was it? No, nah, I made neither. I um, trialed the last year, the nineteens, and then they went to twenties the following year. But um, I think that year that was when Zach Guilford and um, Izzy Dag were the outsides. It was, pretty, it was a pretty stacked crew, to be fair. Um, if you're going to miss out, at least you miss out some decent players. But um, I ended up getting called over to the twenties in um, in Wales. Yeah. And they ended up winning it. So I've, I actually got the medal there somewhere. So in about five years' time, I was 100% starting every game. But I remember <laughs> you coming up that trial too, that 20s trial. You you were at fullback and you were running an absolute mark. Obviously, you didn't do enough to get Izzy Dag out of um, the fullback jersey, who was, to be fair, an absolute wizard. Nah, Izzy Dag was already playing full-grown men on the seven circuit. So I think there was going to be a push. And I think Zach was about... Six months away from being an All Black, so yeah, it's going to be a tough push. <laughs> yeah, true. But you, all, yeah. but then you made your um, Men or Two debut pretty quickly after that, didn't you? Yeah, I think I must have been maybe twenty. 
Oh, yeah, it would have been 2008, so two years out of school. I, you know, it wasn't straight away. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. Cruds, Aaron Cruden, and well, Andre was in the Turbos at school. Um, so I was a little bit later than those two. But, yeah, 2008, I think I was my first game for, for the Turbos. It was uh, um, against a stacked Wellington team. Was it? Oh, Jose Gear, oh, Corey Jane, yeah. I was shitting my pants. <laughs> How did you find it? How did you find going into that um, man or two environment? Yeah, it was good. It was, it was a lot different to how things are now. Um, Dave Rennie was our coach and Bruce Hemeter. They were, well, obviously, Renz is a bloody good coach and he probably was really good for us, or he was really good for us um, younger guys just to teach us skills and um, that side of things. But at the same time, we basically finished the game and just straight on the suit, we'd, um, there was a lot of piss ups <laughs> at, at that time. It was probably Saturday, Sunday, turn up Monday. True. Um, it was, a, it was a good time. That first year, you know, when you're young and back then you professionalism looked a lot different to probably what it does now. But, yeah, it was uh, looking back now, probably could have got off to a pro- maybe a little bit better start. But um, at the same time, I've made some some of my, my best mates were um, in that team and, you know, I'm still mates with them now. So wouldn't change it for the world and um, I suppose moulded me into what I am today. You made the um, – then you made the New Zealand Sevens pretty much that same year, eh? How did that one come about? Yeah, I played um, the last half of the season for um, the Turbos and then went down to the National Sevens and played for Manor 2. I think Titch might have picked me up from there, so um, might have well, asked me to go to a camp. I actually went to the camp and made it and then uh, got to Dubai and bloody Nuffy Tuidavaki steamrolled me in the, um, in the warm-up. I was holding a bag and rolled my ankle, high ankle sprain, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't even oh, play. True. So I, ended up, oh, wow. I was named in the team and never never played a minute. So um, yeah, there was there was a you know I was talking before about um, injuries and things. I suppose that was my first real serious enough injury to to not play for a few months. So went back home and regathered myself. I think for the rest of that next year, which would have been two thousand and nine, I just uh, I was in the academy with the Turbos. Um, obviously played for the Turbos, but um, was still working because it was pretty amateur back then. So yeah, I didn't really. My first game for the sevens wasn't till um, I think the end of two thousand nine. Yeah, we went to London and. Um, How do you find dealing with that injury as a young as a young kid who'd just been picked for New Zealand for the first time? Um, no, I think I handled it well. I just didn't um, because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't had a taste of it. I I didn't really know what it meant. As in, I was not going to be playing for the sevens. Um, I was really lucky. A, a, a guy from. Palmy sort of mentored me um, quite a bit, and I, I, I can clearly remember him saying, "Like you know, you've you've had a sniff now." He he set me up on it um, when I got home, got me a wind trainer. Um, I didn't know what it was. I was like, "What's this thing?" And he just sort of made me smash out um, bikes on a regular basis, and <laughs> and uh, looking back, things like that probably kept me uh, in good enough nick to operate as a rugby player when I came right again. Because um, at that age in Palmy, all my mates are at uni. There was a lot of um, a lot of good soup ups yeah. and things that you know. If I'd gone the other way, I could have just got spat out the back. So um, yeah, I, I was probably lucky that I had people to direct me in the right the right way that probably knew better than me at the time. Yeah. So then you mentioned your first tournament over in London. That was the following year. What was that like going into that um, New Zealand sevens uh, camp and then playing on the big stage? Yeah, it was epic. Um, 
I think at the time they they were on a run. They maybe won like eight World Series in a row. They were oh. dominant. And uh, Zar Lawrence was the starting midfielder, I think, at the time, and he got injured. So it's just luck. And then back then, I think from memory, sort of Titch would only play as seven, and then those other however many. I think it was. I don't. The subs were different back mm. then, but. Those other guys didn't really play too much. They'd come on in when it was 30, yeah. 30 points yeah. up and have a little run around. But Zara actually got ruled out of the tournament. Um, I'm sure my first game was against um, – I'm not one of those guys that can remember games that well, but I can remember this. It was against South Africa, and the, the very first play, I think we ran like a one-two cut or something, and I went straight through and scored. And I was like, geez, that's what I needed because <laughs> the confidence was sweet after that. But, um, yeah, I, from there it was – you know, I was just um, I was pretty fit back then, and we had guys that could break a game anywhere. I just sort of had to, had to be off their shoulders. I just played like a probably a fullback would play in fifteens um, and sevens, and mm. you know, I grew up watching guys like Cullen and that play play for sevens. So it sort of like indirectly moulded my game off them, and he was fit as buggery. So um, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're in the right, if you're fit enough at, at that time, um, right place, right time, usually. Yeah, you and Cullen, exactly the same. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> but you obviously did impress Titch, and then you did end up going to the Commonwealth Games. That must have been a pretty unreal tournament. Yeah, again, it was a bit weird. It was in um, Delhi. Yeah, what was that like? What was What's India like? Uh, we didn't see much of it, to be fair, because at the time there was um, oh, there's everything going on. Like I think they hadn't even finished the village, so we got there and there was like, Oh, the debacle! Like we, I don't think we, we potentially didn't even leave the um, Common Games Village when we were there from memory. So, yeah, I suppose if growing up aspiring to be at the Commonwealth Games and you go there, it was a bit of a letdown. But um, at the same time, we, as as a sevens team, it was it was pretty epic. We obviously played Aussie in the final. That were, I think they pulled back a few Aussie players at the time. A few few sort of names that they were biggish names at the time and, and we rolled them so we had a pretty epic team looking back as well though we had, I think Bender yeah. Bender came back that was when Zach was in his prime um, Jose Gear, yeah. so some pretty beasty animals to throw the ball to which was good and that game that final went right down to the wire too eh? was it a try on full time or something yeah we might have been up um, just up oh, to seal on full it, time yeah. and then we scored yeah we scored on, on full time and you gave the Aussies some spray didn't you I didn't actually spray them. I just, as I was putting the ball down, just gave a wee stare. But there's a few float, photos floating around of that, which <laughs> make it look worse than all. Mate, that is one thing that you've done in your career, though. You've always been uh, prone to a good spray of the referee or some players. Eh? <laughs> it's got you in trouble before. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't got the best rep in that sense, but I always look back to. I um I was I went and talked to the Blues about some PD stuff a few um few, well must have been a month before we left and I said the first thing I said to him I was like look me as a rugby player is a lot different to me as a person so get that off your skin and then we'll start from here and you know they all had a laugh because I think probably half of them had played me and got a serve so um it's a bit of a tough one I'm, you'd say you're not proud of it but I suppose it's just that's who I am as an athlete and. Um, I'm paid to win games of rugby, yeah. so if it helps my team win and guys lose the guts over it, then sweet. Have you found that when you, people have met you that they feel like you are a different person to who you actually are? Yeah, 100%. I, 
I think a huge portion of people that just you know just happen to know me as a rugby player think that I'm an absolute asshole. Um, <laughs> and I, if I'm honest, I just say to them, I, I say to a lot of people, if you've met me in person and I'm still an asshole, then sweet, call me an asshole. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, don't judge me based on how I play the game. I always look at guys like Dane Coles, and I'm like, yeah. people that don't know Coles, you probably think the same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of players yeah. similar, yeah. Um, but I think I'd be. I'd be gutted about it in the future if um, if people would meet me in person and still thought the same thing, but I, I don't think that's the case unless there's unless there's some underlying I need to scratch the surface and do some more checking. Mate, not a chance. You're an absolute lad, but it is it is cool. I love it how guys can just be who they are on the field, and uh, as soon as the game's finished, then you don't hold any grudges, do you? You're, you're straight into it after the game and go have a chat to whoever you were spraying or whether it was the referee, you'll probably go and apologise because I know I know the referees cop it just as much as the players. <laughs> yeah. I suppose I, I think a big part of that is when I, the era I was brought up in and, you know, even my old man in there, yeah. I think they were just old school as in, you know, what goes on the field stays on the field and I, I've sort of always had that mentality but I, I feel like the the newer age player really struggles with that um, and having gone back and had us played some Midas in Cup last year with Hawks Bay, there's some guys that have held grudges post the whistle. I'm like, well, you know, that's not how I was how I was taught. I was sort of yeah. taught what, what goes on the field stays on the field. But, yeah, guys that might me because of it, then oh. sweet, but maybe get to know me first day. Yeah. Know me before you judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I love it. I love watching it. It always brings some good... Uh, a good side watch to games when you know someone's after someone because of a niggle or something like that. I love watching Colsey. I love yeah. watching you play. It's it's good value. Oh, yeah. But then, mate, you did move up to the Necky. So what brought that move about? Um, they had a fullback at the time. His name was Casey Stone, and he was sort of playing every game. I'd, I'd sort of played bits, bits and bobs of that year, and I wasn't sort of like a, a mainstay in that team and um, got a phone call from... Um, the CEO at the time, and it was Mark Robinson, who's now the oh, um, NZR CEO. And he said, oh, you know, um, we're really keen on getting you up here, having a look around. And I went up there, and, you know, I was pretty impressed by the, their setup, and I felt like I was going to get more opportunity at, at fullback where I um, wanted to play up there. So, you know, it was a tough decision because I think Man or 2 had done a lot for me um, from the academy side. But if I'm being honest, I, I think that move – really helped my career. Um, I might have got stuck in just a rut yeah. of play soup up, play soup up every weekend and maybe I, you know, maybe I needed the change just to get away. Didn't mean we didn't yeah. soup up, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a, an opportunity to get up there and, and play with some, you know, at the time I thought there were some good players up there. <laughs> just meant you got to add in a bit more punting. <laughs> yeah, you know, I met some lads that loved a good punt, so yeah, it was a dangerous combo. Do you still punt? Nah, drops and drabs. I um, would have spent. I would have wasted a fair bit uh, in my early part of my career, which you know I'm definitely not proud of. But um, you know, taught yeah. me some lessons and um, still dabble every now and then. But shit, not not like we used to. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I've probably sorted my sh- sorted my shit out a bit off the field um, with a bit more of a plan of where I want to head, and you know, probably had some a few wake-up calls on the way, so it was, it was good for me. It was wake-up calls with a second chance, I suppose. <laughs> so I still had some money in the pot. I always remember um, you on the punt. You'd always have like a um, 
what when they block your account if you if you go over your limit <laughs> a wee restriction and then like pretty much first day of the month or something you'd hit it and you'd be done whoever invented those restrictions is an absolute you'd go stat. hard or go home wouldn't you yeah I, yeah that was probably it i went too hard too early on, on a lot of things but um <laughs> yeah probably the, the lads that i hang, hung around with um probably influenced it all day yeah they definitely do we had a few few good lads up there who absolutely loved it. But what other memories from your Taranaki time that stand out for you? You obviously had some good Shield success, won the Shield a few times. Uh, you won the Premiership. Yeah, some of, some of my best times in rugby were up there. Um, it was wicked, the eyes. Um, the people, like people that have now moved on and, you know, so Clarky, who's our coach, he was a skills coach, yeah. Um, obviously, Robbo's now the CEO of New Zealand Rugby. Um, Nikita, who is our manager, she's now our PDM at sevens. Um, the players, you know, you look at some of the players that have come out of there, or you, you know, some of those boys that have gone overseas, or even like guys like Bodie and that. Um, it was wicked, and you know, big Brodie. Oh, I live with big, big Brodie and Keatsy, who were just yeah. roosters. Um, we just lived a different life. We lived out of the beach, and you know, I suppose it helps when when your team's successful. But we, we at the time, we were pretty successful, and we became quite a dominant team. Um, mm-hmm. I think we might have played your mates from Tassie in that in that final. And yeah, one of the greats. Yeah, it was effort, and I, like I still remember. I think we won the shield, and then that that defence with a packed house. Um, you know, it gives you goosebumps that sort of stuff, and I feel like that's what rugby in New Zealand's about is. Is um you know provinces getting behind their team so yeah um I suppose from a rugby performance perspective we were going pretty well and I was going pretty well I was on the back of a a, a pretty epic team um and then you know just winning stuff usually helps how, how you feel about things as well so no it was um yeah. it was a cool five or six years I think I was there but um yeah it wouldn't change it for the world. And mate, you won personality of the year uh, five or six times down there too. So, mate, you've got you've got a you've got an absolute gift. Yeah, until you turned up. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you regularly get nude, it's quite easy to get the personality of the year. Like, people think you're weird when you shower nude these days. So, um, yeah, it made it easy. I think. But one one story that I remember about you after the 2014 final, you had to fly off to the Maldives tour. And <laughs> you've got your famous interview with one news or whoever it was, and <laughs> one of the one of the great yarns from you. <laughs> Talk me through that one. Yeah, that was so. It was the night after we won the the premiership. Um, yeah. I can still remember it like so clearly. Yet yeah, the words were coming out that clearly at the time. <laughs> So we must have played, it was a night game, eh, I think, from memory. We won that. Yeah, um, it was, yeah. And then we went back to Jackson Norman's place and all the Tassie boys came, Marty Banks. Uh, yeah. I think Fonzie, Fonzie would have been there then, eh? Fonzie was there, yeah. Yeah, Kieran Fonzie. Um, and then obviously all us boys and we suit, yeah, we sent it. Um, and I still remember the sun was coming up and I thought, shit, we've got to get to the, um, we obviously worked out that we had a, Play and then we need to get to ASAP, so we all just smoke bombed. And um, I'd pack my bag before I left. And my my mum had actually come to watch the final, so she'd stayed. I was living with Mitch Crosswell at the time. Yeah, she'd come to stay. Um, 
So I walked in the door and she was standing at the door and she's like, we're going to go. So I just basically walked in, picked my bag up to the loop, walked back out and then um, off to the airport. So there's probably, I reckon, about a 30-minute dry patch before that interview, but um, you could probably tell that by the words that were coming out of my mouth. so good. This is what I, I've always remembered since then. I can clearly remember saying to that reporter, you can't use that. So that's why you never trust some of those buggers because uh yeah he didn't listen to me mate i, I was i can't i still can't believe that he did use that like <laughs> you made zero sense at all well, there's nothing in it like there was no information in it i know it was just a complete piss take but i'm glad he did jeez it <laughs> gave me some joy over the years the worst bit was that was that was say like eight o'clock in the morning or whatever time the flight was and then we went to we arrived at Maldives camp and you sort of had like a couple of meetings because it was a Sunday or something, and they knew we'd obviously played the day before. Yeah. I was beached there, so I'd fallen asleep in the scratcher. Got to dinner at like, it must have been just before six, and I was sitting there eating dinner, and then my phone just started roaring at me, like heaps of hits, and I was like, what is going on? Pulled my blower out, and the boys are just into me. <laughs> and that video was on the chat at the time, and I just sunk. I was like, no. <laughs> I just everyone else thought it was hilarious, obviously, but yeah. I was in a yeah. I was already in a hole because I was hung to bits, and then that popped yeah. up. I was like, "Wow, can't come back from this." How did you get on the media gig that that morning? Surely they give you the pass. Yeah, well, I, I'm unsure. <laughs> There's a few red flags there that I need to do some more research on because to me it seems like a, a stitch up. I was just sort of young and naive. I think I got got sucked in, eh? Yeah, geez, so many. I've always had so many questions about that video, but it's good to good to hear, get some insight into it. It still pops up on our chat here every oh, so couple of months. Boys think it's hilarious, <laughs> and I'm just want that thing to disappear. I think it might have been you that resurfaced it to you, dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I love it! I love it. But you mentioned your Maldives tour and um, something that you obviously made a few times. So how do you find it in that environment? You've got proud Maldi heritage in there? Yeah. I think, like, if I'm being brutally honest, prior to making the Maldives, I didn't really understand my my Maldi side very well. Um, yeah. And then I knew I obviously had Maldi in me because uh, my grandparents and things. But um, after sitting down with my, my nana at the time and – like she was going through the family tree and that and then um actually understanding where I was from and and all that I, you know I think it was a pretty cool part of my life um yeah you know even post covid uh, my wife and I we drove up to to my Marae and that so it's it's things that I probably would have never done um had I not made the Maldives and mm. yeah obviously I don't look that moldy if that's <laughs> that's what people will say but um you know I know, I know for a fact that I'm, you know I've got a fair bit of Māori heritage in me. It's just, um, yeah, I'm bloody glad I, I sort of researched it a bit more and got to understand it because it, you know, it's a big part of, I suppose, my my family side before yeah. me, which is important to me. Yeah, and you obviously made it a few times. So any any tours or games that really stand out for you in the Māori's jersey? Um, probably the only one that really, you know, we played some interesting opposition. I think. One year we went to the UK and played Harlequins and not even sure if there was an actual international, but um, the the one of the last ones I went to, we went to Japan and um, I think we smoked them the first one and then the second game they almost beat us and we 
we beat them right on full time, which was um, you know it was pretty cool. And looking back, you know they're a reasonably good team now, and and I think that was the start of their their rise. So probably looking back, that would be the the one. Good times, and then you went. Down to the Highlanders, so how was it down there? Obviously, had a few Highlander guys on the podcast already. It always seems like a real tight group of guys who loved getting on the source yeah. <laughs> and a few good yarns. <laughs> how did you find it down there? Um, well, yeah, it was good. I, From a rugby sense, probably not so much because I didn't play a lot. Um, I was there for four years and I think I might have played 13-odd games with them. Oh, really? Yeah, the first the first year I went down there was post the um, the Commonwealth Games in Delhi, and I got a stress fracture in my back at those Com Games. So I went basically turned up that first year and was done the whole year. So didn't play at all that year, and then that following year was sort of when Bender came on the scene and he was a fullback as well. So it made life pretty tough trying to sneak in there. Yeah, true. And then yeah, I had the odd injury in between that that probably didn't help my cause, but yeah, didn't play a lot. But from the off field side. I loved it. I, you know, became good mates with some of those staggy boys and um, guys like Bills and that. That you know, we had some amazing times yeah. together. Um, some good old Sunday sessions, and there's not much to do and done. It's as cold as f, so um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend trying to go down there for some beach time or anything. But um, yeah, it was good. I, I'm not sure. I, when I left there, I, I probably, if I was being honest, I. I was sort of like happy to leave because um, I hadn't played any footy and yeah. just, you know, I, fe- I didn't feel like I was, you know, even the year we won it in 2015, I could sort of feel mm. a bit on the outer. Um, yeah. Some wicked dudes there, some, some boys that I'll, uh, yeah, some memories I'll cherish forever. Yeah. That's interesting to hear that you felt like you're on the outer because it, it is a hard thing when you're not playing, eh, to feel like you're still – a part of the team and you're oh, part yeah. of the success when people talk about the victories and things. And if you're not a part of it or you don't feel like you did anything other than hold the tackle bag, it, yeah. it can feel a little bit like that, eh? Oh, hundred percent. And I, you know, I'm, I'm I th- again, I think that's helped me now because I'm really aware of it um, within our sevens environment. Cause if you're not playing, it's, um, I could probably speak for most rugby players. You, you play rugby to play rugby. You don't play rugby to get the paycheck. Well, some guys might, but, get the paycheck and just hold some bags. Um, yeah. So you, you can get frustrated, I think, but it was a bit niggly, but I can sort of, I feel for people that now get in that situation and you can sense it because you can, you can see how easily it can frustrate people and yeah. their lip drops. And I'd say that'd be one of the hardest things as a coach to keep, um, keep under wraps is boys just dropping their lip. Mm. And it's such a, like, even though it doesn't feel like the player's doing anything to contribute, being the opposition for those Thursday hitouts or whatever day it is that you're um, having a hit out against each other, they play a massive role into team success. So the better that side is, um, the the better they're likely to go in, in, in the game in the weekend. So I know yeah. it doesn't feel like they're doing anything, but they are actually having a massive role. But because they're not playing under the bright lights, um, you do feel like you're really not contributing. Yeah, and I think that was it. Like um, It wasn't about... I actually think that, that that was a big part of our, our success was our um, those guys, which was was me. We we actually pushed the team quite hard at trainings, and we we never looked at it like that. But looking back, you're like, yeah, like you say, it, um, it's a big lead into your team being successful. And at the end of the day, that's that's what you're there for. Um, mm. I was probably just 
to be honest, I was probably just a bit young and, and I hadn't really worked out that all out yet. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's a, it a good lesson, I think. So where was the next move for you after Highlanders? Um, so I had two since, yeah, I had two years. I went went to sevens and then I, th- I think I did another two years. And then yeah. I feel like maybe after that, I potentially didn't get contracted, so I was back with sevens again, which would have been which should have been the Rio year, oh, 2016, before I went to Italy. And how was that? How was that? How was Rio? Well, I didn't go, so. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> this is what we want. <laughs> Spill the beans on this one. The form player in New Zealand. I think you won sevens player of the year, uh, maybe the year before, and you were still in red hot form, but. Our best player doesn't go to the Olympic Games. Talk to me. What happened? What did you say to him? What did you say to him? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't think I said anything. No, nah, I didn't. It was just a funny year. I think um, being the first time our sevens team had gone to the Olympics, and um, oh, this, there were so many factors in it. But you know, I'd, I'd had um, Nigley Achilles the whole year, but I'd played every tournament through it. So to me, that wasn't an issue. But um, Anyone that's been well, you've been coached by Titch. Yes, he just had this has this thing in his head. Um, you know, I, I had niggly Achilles, and he was like, "I just need to see if you can get through it." I was like, "Mate, I've played every tournament, basically every minute this year. <laughs> this year, what do you need to see? Yeah. Do you want me to do a beep test for you? That you know, I'll probably go right it." Um, so it just got to a point where you know, I was, I didn't feel like he was doing best for the team either. So. You know, might have said some things to him. I, I probably just stood up for other guys in our team um, at times, and he didn't like it. And you know, maybe that was the reason. I honestly don't know. But um, you know, I wasn't selected for the team, but um, he asked me to be the non-traveling reserve, and I just I'd lost interest in mm. um, I suppose working for him as a coach because I just didn't think he was doing best for the team. Um, yeah, and you know. People can take it how they want. I still have respect for Titch as a person um, for what he's done for Sevens in New Zealand. I just think yeah. maybe he missed the boat a wee bit in the in the latter parts of his um, of his coaching. But yeah, I suppose I was a sacrificial lamb of that year, and um, it sort of panned out that the boys didn't go so well at um, at Rio. But I don't think you know me not being there didn't have anything really to do with that. It was just uh, probably you know there's a lot of other factors in that year that that led to it being how it is. And uh, at the same time, I think it's moulded our team that we've got now um, into being a lot better um, in, in creating better men, which is, mm. you know, at the end of the day, I'm pretty happy about. Were you surprised to see them struggle at the Olympics or did you feel like the environment and the culture wasn't quite right to be going to an Olympics? I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think the environment and culture was right, but at the time I thought we would still, with the team that we had, um, you know, we still should have gone pretty close. And to be fair, mm. even though they lost to Japan and only scraped through as like the second qualifier or whatever it was, um, they almost the boys almost beat um, Fiji in the in the quarter. So you know they weren't far as far off as people make out. But it's funny, I, you know, I sort of always believe things happen for a reason, and maybe that happened for um, you know people in New Zealand rugby and that to to look closer at what was going on or. Maybe even they knew what was going on. It was just uh, a bit hard to move things on that late in the preparation. Yeah. 
And he'd called in guys like Sonny Bill and all sorts of big names, eh? So what were they like coming into the Sevens environment? Yeah, they were good. Um, it was Augie Pulu, uh, Sonny, Liam Messam. What do we know? But yes, look, guys like that were, were great. Um, you know, I'm not a coach, so it wasn't up to me to pick the team, but if it was about buying in and that, those guys are sweet. Um, I just think as a whole group, we just, you know, looking, comparing our environment now to that environment, it's like, it's light years apart um, yeah. around there. You know, we had a culture, um, we had a, a players' culture in the old uh, regime, mm. but it was like players' management and we just, yeah. we were treated like school kids and it made things worse. Yeah. Whereas now we're treated like grown-ups and, um, you know, grown-ups make their own decisions and live and die by their own decisions. So yeah. I think it's a good way to be. So you're allowed to eat red meat now in the buffet? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can eat red meat. Um, you know what the funny thing is? We're now allowed to do everything and we do less of it. So <laughs> it's it's the same old energy. If you, yeah. you tell someone not to do something, they want to do it. And then when they can do it, they're like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. We'll go, <laughs> go look for something else to do. So, yeah. No, we, we've almost gone the other way. Can you train with a hat on? Clarky mentioned it the other day, reminded me of it, but can you train with a hat now? I don't know. Could you not? You, you always used to wear a hat at training, so you would have been stuffed. <laughs> I was stuffed. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had any roles of not being able to wear a hat, so. Yeah, surely, eh? No, we're definitely allowed to now. Some protection. Yeah, you need to, eh? Some of the places you're playing are like 40 degrees. Nothing worse than a red neck. <laughs> 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 oh wow geez that's some good insight and then after that you moved to Zabri or when did the Zabri move come about yeah I'd actually already signed to go to, to um, Zebra early on in that, in that year before Rio so I was sort of like well plan was go to Rio and then um, head oh, overseas yeah. to Zebra but I know, some people looked at it like I was leaving because of that but I'd already planned to go way before that so it actually worked out good because had I not had something, I don't know what I would have done because it would have ended pretty uh, abruptly, I'd say. So, yeah, I ended up going to Zebra pretty much straight after that, which was another interesting sort of yarn. Yeah, go on. Well, I'd signed a, well, a two-year deal and basically they stopped paying us after about maybe eight or nine months. I think you've, you've been to Italy, eh? I've been. I played at Eroni, which was the same team until they changed their name. It was a similar situation. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew you had something. Yeah. So basically, what happened to you probably happened to me. Yeah. I'd signed a two-year deal, um, sort of eight months into the, well, it was the end of our season, but eight months in, they'd sort of stopped paying us, and they were like missing payments and things, and I was sort of like stuck between a rock and a hard place because I thought I was going overseas to sort of stay overseas, and then yeah, it got pretty messy in the end, and I decided, you know, I wasn't willing to risk them not paying us. I just didn't trust them, so. Um, and I know there's boys going there now and and probably heading there, but um, and they've been there since me, and there's been no problems. But I just wasn't willing to risk that. It was um, it was too far away from home to to just be living off uh, living off scraps, I suppose. <laughs> so I ended up um, ended up bailing and and coming back to New Zealand. I'd, um, and that was when I signed to come back and play for for men or two. But that got yeah, it got pretty messy in the end. They Zebra wouldn't they wouldn't pay me and they also wouldn't sign my release and oh, I don't know if you, no it works but like if you come back to New Zealand you you basically have to sign a transfer yeah. to play back in New Zealand and Zebra refused to sign my transfer 
So I was basically back in New Zealand. They weren't paying me. I had no team to play for, and I was ready to play for the Turbos. But um, I think I got to like a week before the first round, um, and they still hadn't signed my release. And I think some of the heavy hitters had to had to come in um, and basically threaten them to either sign it or they'd be removed from certain things because <laughs> I think what they're up to was probably no good. So, Jeez, that's loose, um, eh? Got real lucky because I thought that was me. I was sitting in, I was sitting in Palmy and I was like, man, that's me done. Yeah. I'm, I'm able, I, like I've got a team to play for, um, but I'm not actually allowed to play for them because legally I can't. So, um, And at that time, like when I came back to New Zealand, that was when I um, had first spoken to Clarkie. He was coming back to take the the sevens job. Yeah. So um, I'd basically signed with man or two in, in sevens um, coming back, but I couldn't play for either of them. And I had to play for man or two to be able to play for sevens. Yeah, I had no... Had no uh, ability to play because the the piece of paper didn't say oh, I could, crazy, and they eh? wouldn't sign it. So, yeah. so how, how long? How long were you in, How long were you over there for playing without getting paid? Um, I'd played the whole season, so we'd finished the the Pro Fourteen, and I think it was like Heineken Cup then. Yeah. Um. So it might have been like eight months, and I was there on a two year deal. So I was mm-hmm. sort of like, yeah, I was niggly, especially when yeah. you. Get to that point in your career, and you're like, you know, you, you go there thinking, sweet, I've well, I've always been brought up with in New Zealand, you have a contract, and that's that's that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You get it. clearly <laughs> over there, it's different, day. <laughs> so, did you get none of it, or just bits and bobs? No, they still well, I got paid up till that point, but um, yeah. I finished I finished that year playing, and um, when I left, they'd, they'd already owed me, I think, maybe two months' pay. and there's two more to go for that year. Oh, yeah. yeah. So still waiting for their money to arrive. <laughs> the pigeon's got to drop it all, I think. <laughs> that could have covered the punting, eh? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. It must have been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. So then, yeah, I remember, I, I sort of remember you being at a crossroads where you didn't have a contract and um, then the sevens lifeline sort of came. So yeah. you were sort of looking for a super rugby gig, I'm guessing, and none came. So you went back to sevens and I'm not sure if you were, were you keen to do sevens again or did you want to stay in the 15s game? No, I, 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 so when I was over there, that was when I first spoke to Clark, when it was sort of unfolding. Yeah. Um, he might have been at London Irish at the time. He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know. He left me and, to and, go coach you, get you right. <laughs> yeah. Always looking after the boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he was coming back. He must, you know, he, had, he knew he'd had the job for sevens. And, yeah. Uh, I think it was just luck. My agent um, maybe was, his agent was with the same agency and, just happened in convo. They said something. I was like, "Yeah, I feel like I've always wanted to play for teams that you're passionate about." Yeah. Um, for some, you know, for different reasons, but sevens for me was a you know a big part of who I am as as a rugby player. And um, you know, the thought of going back and, and having a sort of second sniff at it was, mm. especially when I didn't think I ever would, um, was pretty pretty exciting. And then you know, Clark gave me that opportunity. Said he's going back. Um, we're pretty keen to, to have you involved. We had some good convos, and I think he understood how much that team meant to me. So it wasn't, um, yeah, different coaches, different views, I suppose. And then you obviously hit the ground running. You're straight back into your old sevens form, absolutely running a mark. 
Yeah, it was good. Like our team as a whole, I think, started to take their straps. That year that I was in Italy, I actually went over and watched them in France, and yeah, they were they were battling. They, um, I think, it, they might have had Scooter Waldron as the coach. Um, yeah, you know, sort of like a he was in in between, so he didn't really hit, have clarity on what he was up to. So um, there's some guys in there that you know were just, I think, there just to to say they were in the sevens team. They maybe didn't care as much as, as other guys that I'd been involved with in the past. Um, mm. So, yeah, Kaki rounded up a crew of guys that were bloody passionate about a, a team, um, which I think is bloody important and um, and motivated to, to see it get back to where where it used to be. Mm. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's been a nice little uphill trot since then, which has been cool. Shit, yeah. And you obviously had some success there. Commonwealth Games, Stevens World Cup the same year, eh? Yeah, um, yeah. Gold Coast and San Fran, a couple of unreal tournaments from you boys. How did how did you find those ones? Yeah, it was epic. It was just like um, sort of like worked in, in sort of steps. We, we kept building, kept building, and on the way to building, we were winning stuff. And, you know, I suppose the World Cup mm-hmm. was the final point of that building where everything sort of clicked. So, yeah, we just, you know, we were lucky to win some some big tournaments and, um, even post that, we <clears throat> leading into pre-COVID, we were we were humming. I think we'd won or made five of the six finals, and we were running pretty smoothly. So yeah, um, yeah, we we're lucky. It went in the direction that we all hoped it would, but you know, there's a lot of hard work from a lot of people behind the scenes to make it get to that point. Yeah, and how did you find the COVID break? Obviously, a lot of travels involved, and the seven circuit is all shut down. Yeah. You're not really sure when the next tournament's going to be. It must have been tough times as a sevens player having COVID involved. Yeah, it was. It kind of, and, and even still now, it's shut down our, our World Series. Probably doesn't even really exist at the moment. It's um, the, yeah. sort of finding your feet with it. But for me personally, COVID, um, you know, it was actually quite good for me as a person. Sounds a bit selfish, but um, we, we got married, I think, two days before the lockdown. Yeah. Um, so I didn't go to the last tournament, which happened to be in Vancouver, which was a hot spot about three days later. So I'd say some of the boys probably brought COVID back with them. Um, and then, yeah, we had a wedding and my now wife, um, she lived up in Auckland at the time, so we didn't even didn't even live together and um, it sort of yeah. forced everything to happen. So, you know, COVID, there was niggly parts of COVID for, um, for me as a rugby player, but for me as a person, then probably helped with the rugby um, pass it um, was pretty good. And a COVID baby, was it? Nah, I, I think it was just after. No, just but after. We, we can claim it as one. <laughs> I'm down for whatever, eh? <laughs> sure, there was some practice in there during COVID, eh? Oh, there would have been plenty <laughs> of practice, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so now yeah. you talk about sort of where you're at now with the Sevens and not really sure what the next sort of plan is for, I guess, the Sevens team in general, but. What's what's your plans? Are you hanging around with the New Zealand Sevens team? Is your goal to make the next Olympics? I know it's only three years away now. So, um, what goals have you got or plans ahead? To be honest, I haven't thought too far ahead. Um, I'm I'm signed till the end of next season. Yeah, or I'd already um, already signed. So, um, yeah, I haven't thought too far ahead. Um, I'm still really enjoying it. So. There's no reason to throw a towel in when you're still enjoying it, and I, I feel like I've still got a bit to offer for our team. So, yeah, I'll just see what next year looks like. We've got the um, Com Games next year and the World Cup, so there's still 
yeah, things for us to look forward to. Um, then post that, who knows whether I'm still playing good sevens. Who knows? It's probably Clarkie's decision more than mine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm still enjoying footy. I obviously had that season with Hawks Bay last season and I actually really enjoyed it. Sort of reignited the, the 15s flame for me, which, you know, I didn't think I'd play 15s again. So then there was another, you know, positive of COVID was I was able to play 15s, which just, you know, I wasn't contractually allowed to normally. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought too far ahead. We've obviously had a massive campaign with leading up to the Olympics and sort of only had a week and a half to regather myself. So just see what this next year entails and, you know, hope that I can still play good footy because I think you're a long time retired when you decide to pop in. Are you what? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Straight into coaching gigs, isn't it? <laughs> but could you play 15s now? Are you able to play Bunnings Cup? Not normally, but um, it's usually a conversation you can have with the coach and, well, with Clark, sorry, and New Zealand Rugby. And, you know, they were pretty good about it last year. And I suppose it's, it's usually up to them. I, I could ask um, whether they say yes or not is, is up to them. And it, it depends on, you know, what we've got coming up and, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. See what happens this year. We've got another week. Uh, get out of isolation and, and see what happens. True. And uh, you've got your wee Crado's Kitchen um, side hustle going. Talk me through this. This is some of the best food you'll see. I love this, Crado's Kitchen. Tasty stuff, eh? Yeah. How, how did it start? I think it was a COVID thing. We were sitting in COVID and I was like, man, because I've always enjoyed sort of cooking and, um, you know, if I see something, you know, we've always gone uh, eating out and, and things like that. So you see good food, you Google the recipe and give it a give it a home. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, wow, been a – been a footy guy, I was like, well, there's probably you know some younger guys that battle to cook, so I'll, why not just chuck, I'll just make a page and, and chuck some sort of semi-basic recipes, there's some tough ones there too, but, um, you know, just good basic Kiwi food, and I was like, well, I'll just see how it goes, and got a bit of traction, and it was more for myself, because I, I used to Google a recipe, and then I'd lose it, or just lose yeah, it in all yeah. your tabs, I was yeah. like, well, why don't I just put a photo picture so now if i need to make anything i just go into the crud's kitchen page and um oh. get the rest it's basically my own recipe book but <laughs> other people can see it is it something you'd look to do uh after rugby i don't know i just celebrity master chef oh i don't know if i'd back myself just to you know say they give you an eggplant and some sauce i don't know what i'd be doing with it bad choice of plant but um you know, I, yeah, I don't know. Be a they're... great dish. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how good you. Are. Some eggplant and meatballs, you reckon? <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't be too flashy at that side of it. But um, yeah, I enjoy cooking, and as long as I keep finding new things to cook, I'll probably keep putting it up there. What about a wee like cafe or a wee restaurant for you? I always thought it'd be cool to do a cafe, but the chat is it's bloody hard work, and uh, yeah. you got to really. Um, work for your cash, so <laughs> pass. Let's have the drum. Working for your cash. Um, yeah, changing the recipes every day. I feel like that would stress me out. I'd rather just cook what I feel like when I want. Yeah, yeah. There's easier ways to make money with you, eh? Modeling. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> how, how have you found that? You're obviously a dead man of jockey these days. Like you're the you're the Dan Carter of. New Zealand rugby. They're obviously looking for a different um, prototype, I think, with me. 
You're, you're quite shredded now, though, eh? Like, oh, you know, the, the old the old year was a bit sloppy, but yeah, you're, you're shredding. There's a that's what soup does to you. you too many too many soups, you can really <laughs> let yourself go. Yeah, they're definitely looking for a different um, setup. How do you find it though? How do you find it in front of the camera walking the catwalk? Are you comfortable, or is it pretty awkward? No shit, yeah. no. Um, it's bloody intimidating. I, I've said to a few people, I. I reckon it's scarier than any game of rugby I've ever played. Is it? Yeah. Standing waiting to go out on a catwalk, you get the wobbly knees. It's pretty intimidating. <laughs> yeah. When you're undies, like, you're looking at my setup. Like, I haven't got much to hide. <laughs> well, you'd be so much more comfortable doing it nude, though. Nah, you? see, yeah, wow, yeah. <laughs> around the right people. That's the thing. I'm all yeah. good around, you know, the boys and that. It's funny, but. <sighs> <laughs> tough sell they're like people that actually expect you to look half decent and you don't <laughs> so who's actually looking at these um watching you on the walk this catwalk well they, they usually do it at fashion week so it's all i don't know people a lot higher than me in the, the fashion world i don't know i'm unsure it's better as them and then the thousand cameras that they have sitting there that usually spread it across a paper or something <laughs> Or, or when you're strolling down bloody Auckland Main Street and you look up and there's a billboard of your crook carcass on there. Yeah, true. But at least now it's um, you're in a team when you're doing it, eh? There's usually a few of you boys doing it together, yeah. which must make it a little yeah. bit more, make you feel a little yeah. bit more comfortable. It's usually a pretty good laugh with, you know, usually there's, I think, two or three All Black boys and two or three Sevens crew, so we're all in the same boat. We're all... <clears throat> Probably comfortable in our own skin, but as soon as you chuck us in some undies in front of people, we're pretty uncomfortable. So um, at least we're on the same boat together. Yeah, but not something you'd look to do post footy. I don't know if you can maintain the carcass for that long, can you? <laughs> <laughs> unless they're going, as I was saying, unless they're going for something different. <laughs> yeah, well, they seem to be but, these days, eh? So yeah. You yeah. Could, could no, they're bloody, like, bloody lucky that they got me on board with them and. Cool, they're a cool brand to be part of. Um, yeah, they, they sort of have a laugh, which is kind of me. Um, they don't take it too seriously, which is, I suppose, mm-hmm. kind of me. So yeah. it suits to team up with them for sure. But we're talking post rugby. Is there anything that you are that you are sort of set on doing for post rugby? Because I know you've still got a few years left, but it's always a area which a lot of players are. You know, it's a little bit nerve wracking going coming to the end of your career, not really knowing what you're going to do. Yeah, I, I reckon it's one of the scariest things, eh, is the end. And I don't think people really realise that, you know, haven't been in rugby environments, the end can come at any stage. Yeah. Um, I reckon I was lucky, you know, for me that that, that Zebra, um, that Italy experience was a bloody good wake-up call for me. I thought I was cruising at that stage. Um, um, and I've said that to lots of people, like lots of players since. I was like, it's all good when you're cruising and you're getting – a contract every two years and it's sweet but when it sort of abruptly ends or you think it might abruptly end mm-hmm. and you haven't got your shit sorted it's pretty freaking scary yeah since then i've actually done a fair bit of um you know quite a few properties and that which will keep me busy when i'm when i'm dried up or just be a maintenance man or something hopefully <laughs> do renos on the, i'll just work around in circles and do renos until they <laughs> even if they have brand new reno i'll go again um but yeah, I, I did my real estate papers in, in lockdown, and yeah, I, th- I think that's that's what I want to be involved in. I've 
as I say, I've got a few of my own properties and yeah. I feel like I'm interested in that, that side of things. So I've, I'm like a qualified real estate agent, but it's one of those games that I think you've got to build a reputation. And if I do it piss poorly while I'm still doing rugby, I, I probably won't do myself any favours. So hopefully get into that when I'm done. Um, yeah. I, spent some, I spent like the last four years while I've been at Sevens working at ASB Bank. So it was good for a bit of like, sort of upskilling I suppose um, working out whether that's me or not yeah I've, I've, since since that Italy thing I've just made sure I've tried heaps of things um, obviously I was sparky out of school I was an electrician so yeah, it's been bloody handy from me like, with property in there and um, yeah I'm, I'm one of those people now I'm just like sure if there's an opportunity I'll, I'll take it and yeah, see if I like it yeah that's cool um, and I reckon it's the best thing you can do is it um, as a rugby player, because sure we get some opportunities, and I don't think we realise it until it's all gone. Yeah, you hear it all the time. Guys get to the sort of latter half of their career, and they start thinking, "Oh shit, yeah, it, it's coming around." So I'm going to start doing everything. But imagine if you started doing it from when you were young, eh? And how yeah. many skills and how much knowledge you would have gained, I guess. Yeah, and I like I always think to you know early on. I remember I don't even know how it was, but they used to say. Now go to a promo, like we have that many promos. Yeah, yeah. And don't stand in the corner like a numbnuts and just fucking drink the free fizzy and leave. <laughs> and I always made an effort to talk to people and I've met so many people in those yeah. those sort of things that, you know, are friends now or, you know, people that you still talk to that, you know, one day might have an opportunity. So I've I've tried to drill that into guys, you know, when you're talking to them and um and lockdown our PDM got um, Andy Ellis to to talk to our sevens boys, and I yeah. I thought he was awesome. He was like, he was probably a lot like sort of, I think I am, as in we just talk to people, yeah. take opportunities when they popped up. Um, yeah, and I reckon it's the best thing you can do as a as a player because it should be pretty scary. I reckon when it all ends and you don't have a you know, big crew of twenty odd players around you just yeah. to laugh about shit. Mate, so, that that's that is great advice because that is so true. Like. People always talk about knowledge, but what a lot of it comes down to, especially post rugby, is contacts. Who do you know? Who who have you met along the road? Who who rates you as a character, and who wants you to work for them when you finish rugby? And mate, someone like you, with the amount of contacts you've made, the personality you are, you will have absolutely no issues at all. You'll be selling houses left, right, and centre, mate. I bloody hope so, Jeff. Always, you coming to call you, <laughs> mate? You've heard it here first. You will be fine. You're you're a good kid, no doubt. But it's also interesting hearing you talk about the fear of losing that contract because it's happened a lot in the podcast. Guys have sort of got to a moment in their career where it's all been taken away from them and they're thinking, what is next? Do I need to retire? And that sort of sparked something and given them that new life for their career and they've ended up going a lot further than they ever would have imagined if they hadn't had that moment. I feel like you've done that as well. Like you're... Your sevens game's gone to a whole new level since there, and um, it's awesome to see that something like that can just a sort of a switch of mindset can um, have that sort of impact on players. Yeah, I agree. I I, I just feel like you know you, you look at well when you're younger you look at rugby or being a rugby player is just rugby, but I, I sort of look at rugby now as it's rugby, but it's also your off field, and they sort of complement each other. Yeah, I honestly believe that you know since I sort of you know. Not saying I'm perfect now, but since I've started sorting my shit out, yeah, um, I've got a lot less to worry about when I when it actually comes to rugby. And I, you know, actually, 
I'm at peace when I roll out on the field. Yeah. Um, and I actually reckon it's helped my game. So, you know, it's hard when you're young and, mm. you know, I suppose we don't mature to a bit older as, as males are anyway. But um, <laughs> when you're young and you, or we would have all been told it, you know, like sort something out away from yeah. rugby. We get a, we, what other job in the world do you have a, someone that's paid to help you find another job? Like it's ridiculous <laughs> that, that with the PDMs, yet no one takes it up. Yeah. Um, and that's been the, you know, my, my biggest learning is just make use of those people because, yeah, if, if you don't, she's, uh, I'd say she's a pretty sad life um, when it all ends. It's all good now. And it happens heaps. You, you hear it all the time. Guys get to the end of their career, no money left. They've spent it buying cars and punting and all sorts yeah. of weird shit. And then um, <laughs> and they've got no no qualifications or um, got, have a job. And it, it's extremely stressful. I could imagine being in that position. And, oh. mate, it would be the most stressful thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it actually makes me nervous thinking about it, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty sorted. Um, don't get me wrong; I'm, I'm going to need a job. I'm going to need a real good job. But yeah. you know, I've got a, I've got a roof to live under. Like I've, you know, bought a house when I was first left school, and it's just chipped away my my whole career. So yeah. things like that. At least now I know. I sort of set goals real early on, but didn't actually think they were achievable. Like one of the goals was I. You know, all I wanted was a freehold home because my theory was, at least if I if I get cut from rugby and I've got a house to live in, that's all that matters. Like I've just got to yeah. find enough money then to pay my power bill and yeah. stuff. So, you know, I sort of had that goal in my head, and you know, now obviously goals move as as mm. as you tick them off. But um, now it's ten freehold houses. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a penthouse, bachelor uh, <laughs> pad, eh? But, yeah, no, it's um. It's it's scary, but at the same time, I reckon if you sort it, shit, it makes life way better. Yeah, and like I've you know I've got a a wife and a and a wee girl now, so you've got people that depend on you, and as you get older, you get more people that depend on you. So it's yeah. nice to be able to um, make sure that you know you can help fend for your family as well. Mate, that is awesome. Love that. Love that chat. Wasn't expecting so much about post footy, but that is good. But what a journey! Like seriously, what what a career you've been. It's been so like all over the show, eh? You've been sevens, fifteens, new new teams. You played for so many different teams. You met so many different people. But yeah. mate, you've been constant to who you are. And on the Instagram, I've put the questions out as always, and um, you can tell what sort of a character you are by how many questions came in, and they're all mm. similar in what they are. <laughs> okay, first question: Who's the worst player to get one on one with in sevens? Oh. I'll go on our own team. I'd probably say like a a Joe Weber. Oh yeah, someone like that. <laughs> but sure, he can be in the washing machine pretty quick with him. <laughs> hey, he's always had a gun, Steph. Eh? <laughs> yeah, oh. I tell you, someone who who tested me at the Olympics was old um, Sami Karevi because he can run over you, but he can also <laughs> step you. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> he is a big, strong man. That one. Oh yeah. Okay. You got so many questions about this, your famous celebration. First one is uh do you rest the balls on the neck or tuck them? Basically, what's the technique? They must rest on the neck. I'm not sure I've ever actually <laughs> it's just it's just been where it is. There's no like position, it's just where it is is where it is. Well they are. I got two. <laughs> you're two penises. <laughs> no, 
thought you were talking about the, the yeah, no. <laughs> I think acorns, they sit either side, don't they? Oh, yeah. Either side of the neck bone. Yes, good clarity. Okay, well, the next one, how, how did the celebration come about? So how did that start? I actually, I can honestly say I don't know. All I know is that from a real early age, from uh, even from like club rugby, I used to nood up with, you know, if we'd won a trophy yeah. or something. So um, I always think like <laughs> everyone always says, you know, don't forget your roots. I feel like that was my <laughs> roots, so I just couldn't forget it. So I've actually got a photo. This was, this was before social media was like, you know, what yeah. it is now and probably wouldn't have got away with it. But I've got a photo. I think we went to London and we might have won the World Series in, in that tournament. And I'm, I've nude there with cups and things. So I've just, I suppose I've always done it and just give the people what they want, eh? Good laugh. <laughs> That's it. And people do love it, eh? It's massive. Like so many people post photos of themselves doing it all the time you must get tagged in them everywhere oh man i get tagged in so many and i just laugh every time because i'm like i just feel like sometimes people take themselves in the world too seriously and yeah. sports like we all play sport for the good times and well i i think people do um so yeah so i actually really enjoy seeing it when it's usually like when the end of break footy season rolls through i get pumped through <laughs> cricket season usually get a fair few <laughs> I got a um, got one from the steel one year. Oh, it's true. Good laugh. <laughs> yeah, Wendy Frew had the the seasons out. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, can't beat a little bit of nudity, eh? And you've obviously um, driven that from. Nah, it's good stuff. All around the world, it's good stuff. Okay, <laughs> next one. Tell us some stories about the great Nick Crosswell. Oh, Crossy. To be fair, I owe a fair bit to the Crosswell. He was at the, he was at the turbos when I uh, when I started out, and when I first when I first sort of made it, we used to obviously young mates were all at uni, so we'd soup up after club footy, and usually the next day. But on the next day, he usually used to have um, pool sessions for the yeah, provincial <laughs> thing. Everyone that's played footy will know that. And I used to every Sunday I'd turn up either hungover or still steamed, and I was just living with my mates at the time because it was just a good time. And he's like, oh, just come live with me. So I ended up living, moved in with him and some other older Turbos boys. And, you know, they went square. We sent it a fair few times, but he probably just pushed me more of the way I needed to. And yeah, um, he's, he was one of my best men at my wedding. So uh, he got a lot of time for the cross. Oh, how good is that? Okay, any backlash from that iconic photo? No, nah, you get the odd 1% of people that spark up and say it's, out of order or something, but if 99% are saying all good, then keep it on, I say. Keep it on. Okay, next one from Phil Burley, one of the greats. Ask him if he still has his wee cat's tongue. He used to get mood <laughs> and drink milk <laughs> milk out of a cat's bowl with it. <laughs> nah, it's not a part of the furniture anymore. <laughs> Did it get removed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay. Favorite all time punt to wind home? Oof. Oh, you would have some absolute beauties. Oh, yeah. I got one. Very elegant. It's my favorite. Oh, I wound that home a few go. times lately. Yeah. <laughs> Cox plate, reckon. Storm's home. 
what this year or last year? Oh yeah, won, they won the Caulfield Cup last year. We went to the Hawks Bay races. Yeah, full full day on the soup after playing a Ranfurly Shield game the, the day before, and um, obviously because Aussie races are a bit delayed, we uh, we had a full day yeah. at Hawks Bay, went right, and then loaded oh. up on very elegant. She she came home in the oh. Caulfield Cup. Shit, it was good stuff. Oh. oh, they're the ones. I knew there'd be something in there. Yeah. Treated myself to some... Oh, we actually went out for tie afterwards just to celebrate a big win. <laughs> and, and that's how you became freehold. Yeah. <laughs> Goal accomplished. It was, it, yeah, it was uh, one of... Yeah, it was, we were either in or out. It was either freehold or remortgage. <laughs> <laughs> oh good stuff okay next one tell us what you said to the touch judge in Hawke's Bay 2009 to get a six week ban <laughs> I didn't say what he said I said that's the thing that still grates me what did he say you said I think it was quite bad I, I think he said to the point where I was like it was along the lines of like I wanted to kill him or something I was like I didn't say that <laughs> But it was it basically became my my word against his word, and I was I was on the hiding to nothing. I was eighteen. If you saw my haircut at the time, I was a disgraceful human. So I wasn't going to win that argument. I definitely, you know, would have said some swear words, but I'm not actually sure. Can't remember. No, that's that's buried. I think hopefully I learned my lesson, sort of. <laughs> oh, good stuff, Kay. Clarky's got one. Um, what did he have on on the flight home, and could he show you from a rowing coach? <laughs> the what? The washing issue just came back, so I could. <laughs> Still a bit fresh. And what was it? It's a rowing suit. Oh yeah. So um, having the reputation that I do, the boys were trying to get me nude on the on the plane, and I was like, wow. <laughs> That's that's not going to work because I'm not that keen on getting arrested off a plane. <laughs> so um, I got a rowing suit and I got changed into that and I was just, yeah, we'll leave it at that. I've got a rowing suit. Oh, that's good stuff. It must have been some plane trip. Love that. Oh, I'll just bury that. <laughs> okay, next one. Whose neck has been the comfiest place to put your trouser snake on? I don't know if you call it a snake, it's more like a slug. Um, <laughs> go with who was the first? Trail, was it? Oh, trail <laughs> Joss. Yeah, oh, big Trey. Good Tasman neck. Yeah, big Tasman neck. <laughs> yeah, who was the first? I had no issues. He might have had a rash, but I had no issues. <laughs> okay. Who'd be one teammate you'd want your custom celebration on your shoulders? <laughs> I was going to say Big Sammy Dixon. Oh, be right around the neck, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd have a necklace, but it'd just be good for the lulls. <laughs> um, you'll go Sam Dixon. Just to oh, give the people a... what they want. Yeah, that's what they want, no doubt. Okay, next one. What's the backstory to your two thumbs up? There was no real. Oh, the only the, the first time I did it was just in Wellington. Yeah, because one of the boys at Antonio Kitty Kitty, he wasn't playing, oh, and he yeah. said, "Oh, if you if you get a dot, look up and just give me two thumbs up." And he was up in at the Cape Town. So I did it, and um, 
yeah, it was a bit of a like just did it just because he said to do it, and then sort of crowd got him behind it. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I might as well just keep it on. Love it. And then just kept it on and gets uh, gets people into the game. So it's usually a good good sign if, if there's some thumbs up. Then I'm scoring some tries, which is usually <laughs> usually good. It hasn't been in a while, though. <laughs> Dry patch. Okay, last one. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You've sprinkled lots of good ones throughout this episode. Looking forward to this. Best piece of advice. I know you do a bit of talking to the youth these days around advice and sharing your wisdom, so this this could be good. That's a great question. I'd go to, the the first one I'd be just don't take things for granted, as in from a rugby sense, don't take what you have for granted. Um, and I suppose it probably goes in life anyway. Um, sometimes you mm-hmm. think you've just got it sweet and then you do something to make it disappear or it just disappears. So just don't take it for granted because, um, yeah, so, you know, from a rugby sense, you're pretty bloody lucky to have what we have and to do what we do and get paid to do it. So um, I think the day you take things for granted like that, you're, you're done. Wow, that is um, good. You can't have another one, can you? That was so good. Go again. Nah, oh, go nah again. I don't even know what the other one go was. Again. No, go again. Go again. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll leave it at that. Mate, don't take things for granted. Oh, well, nah. Here's another one. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Because like, oh, I haven't always been, I obviously haven't always been perfect. And, uh, you know, throughout my career, I've, you know, made errors or, and not, not talking rugby, but, you know, yeah. say the touch judge thing. Yeah, but I reckon the one thing you can do is if you stuff up, just admit it and um, and be better for it. Because mm. um, yeah, if you try to run from it, she's a she's a long road to your running. <laughs> so usually, if you do make you know, no one's perfect, and like I'd say, look at me as an example of yeah. anyone that knows me. We've just you know done some dumb shit and um, still here, but. I suppose you just you just got to front it. Hundred percent. Oh, mate, that's two quality pieces of advice as as I expected. But, mate, absolutely appreciate you coming on the podcast, mate. It's been some journey. I, I loved my time playing with you in the Naki. We had some of the best times of my career oh. up there. Um, loved every minute. How about the multis, mate? Some some unbelievable multis landed, and um, some syndicates were on fire. But it's been awesome following you since our times in the Naki. Watch your career progress and all the way to the biggest stage. And one of the greatest lads to come on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on, mate. Cheers, Jeva. Thanks for having me. You're a good kid. Appreciate it. Cheers, bro.